Well, turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're continuing our hard passages. We're looking at just selected places, and we're thinking of different things that might stand out and, and, and that might look hard. And we said that when you think about it, sometimes things look hard because we don't know what they're saying, and then sometimes things look hard because it looks like maybe you could lose your salvation or something like that. This passage is a little bit different because it's not necessarily hard to understand, but when you see the flow of the passage and you read something that says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, God, one Father, you know, one body, one spirit. Well, what does all that mean? How does that all fit together? And so the question might be then is, why are they, if there's one of this, why are there so many different denominations? And why so many different groups? And how does this all fit together? And so if we're going to look just real briefly at Ephesians 4 and, and raise some of those questions. And uh, so let me start with this. Sometimes like somebody will call me or somebody will come up to me and they'll say, uh, what kind of church is Stillwater Bible Church? And, what they, the, and, and I'll say, well, we're like a Bible church. And they say, well, what is the denomination? Are you Baptist or are you? What? And I say, no, we're not, we're not a denomination. We're called a Bible church because we try to do everything on the Bible, not on a denomination. And I would say this is the key for any church is do we believe what we believe based on the Word of God, or do we believe what we believe based on the denomination? Now, some people would say, oh, my denomination is exactly based on the Bible. And, and some say that they are, uh, but we'd have to look at that and look at everything that they say they believe and see how it fits. But the key is it, it's got to always go back to the Bible. So when we look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start basically with verse 4 and verse 4 and 5, especially when, when I say one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one all of that, how does that tie together? And if all that is true, there's one of all the Why are there all these different denominations, what, what goes on. So we're going we're gonna to look at two things, and we'll go quickly, and you can raise questions, and we can do it when we go into our grow groups. We're going to look at Ephesians 4, we're going to see the flow and the meaning, and then we're going to answer the question, why different denominations? How does this all fit together? So we start first with Ephesians chapter, the, the, uh, the, the Ephesians 4 is the key, but I just want to give you the big outline of the book of Ephesians. Uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are theological. They tell us who we are in Jesus Christ. That's what they basically do. They say, this is who we are. Then in chapters 4, 5, and 6 are practical. They're the applicational part. It tells us what we are to do. A lot of times Paul would write that way. He would write a chapter or two theologically and then a chapter or two on how you live out. Ephesians is a perfect book in that sense. The first three chapters are who we are in Christ. The last three chapters, how we live out who we are in Christ. So if you notice in chapter 4, which is now we're going to start, how do we live it out? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. What does he tell us to do? Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you... This is a command. I want you to do what? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. He's basically saying, walk worthy of your calling. Live out who you are. He's just spent three chapters telling us who we are. We were dead and we're alive. We were dead in Christ, uh, dead in sin. We're alive in Christ. We belong to the body of Christ, the Jew and Gentile, one body. We're all this together. And he says, now, live out who you are. Live out who you are, work worthy of the calling which you've been called. Then he tells us how to do that. Look what he says in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, what do you do? Showing tolerance for one another in love. And then notice he says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
He says, the key is humility and love and unity. So in humility, you love one another. That's the key. And then tied into that is the unity. And from the unity, from there, he says, I'm going to show you the unity. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, over all and through all and in all. So it's all one. And so in verses 4, 5, five 6, he gives us this aspects of unity, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Now let me just look on this. I want to see what I have on this for y'all. Okay, so in, in the just stay there because we're going to add some things to each one of these and talk about them in a second. So he says, this is the unity of the body, and we're supposed to maintain the unity of the body. Well, if you look at Christianity as a whole, uh, we could say there's unity in the sense that we believe in Jesus Christ, and all that, but when you start saying, well, there's this group, and this group, and this group, and this group, and this group doesn't believe like this group, and this group doesn't believe like this group, and this group doesn't match this group, and this group actually says this group is all wrong, and this group says this group's wrong, and then you start looking at them, and you say, well, there's, there's Baptist, and Methodist, and Presbyterian, and Church of Christ, and Lutheran, and Episcopal, and this, and, and then there's a, a charismatic group, and then there's this, and then there's Bible churches that call themselves Bible churches, but we don't know what they believe in reality. And, and so why, how does it all fit? And so let's talk about it for one minute. When we look at this, Paul says there is a unity in this, in this whole thing that we call the church. And he says... There is one body. So you want to write out the one body, the body of Christ. The body of Christ, which is the church. Jesus Christ is the church. His body is the church. Ephesians 2.20. He is the foundation of the church. He is the, the cornerstone. He is everything. He's the body. And when the Bible talks about his body, which is the church. So there is only one body. That is the church of Jesus Christ. That body, that's us, all the believers. Okay? Then he says... There's one spirit. What spirit do you think it is? Holy Spirit. You're exactly right. There's only one spirit, the Holy Spirit. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But there is one spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who places us in the body of Christ. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit puts you in the body of Christ. When you're not a believer, the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, sin that you haven't believed. So that idea, so there is one body, the church. There's one spirit, which is Jesus which is the Holy Spirit. Then he says, and there is one hope of your calling. And that hope is eternal life. We believe in Jesus Christ for what? Eternal life. That's the hope. That's what he's promised us. He's promised us eternal life. One hope, Jesus Christ, the, the hope, hope in the Bible is eager anticipation. There is one thing we're eagerly anticipating, and that is to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That's called eternal life. Then he says, as he goes on, he says, there's one Lord. Who is the one Lord? Well, we'll see. Who is the Lord? Jesus Christ. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember his title? The Lord is deity. And Bonita's right when she said God because the name, the word Lord has the idea. Curios in Greek can mean a lot of different things, but it's, it's being used there as, as he's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God who is the Savior, who is the anointed one of God. So when he says there's one Lord, who is he talking about? Jesus Christ. There's one, only one Jesus now, there's other groups that, that uh, they don't hold to it in that same way, okay? So there is one body, the body of Christ. 
that's the, the church. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. There's one hope, the hope of eternal life. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ. What's the next one? There is one what? Faith. Now, when you say faith, he's not saying there's just one kind of way to believe. No. Faith, the faith, or faith is the body of truth. When you say, I believe something, you're going back to a body of truth, some kind of uh, statement that you're saying, I believe this is true. When the Bible says, make sure you are in the faith, he's not saying make sure you're believing. He's saying make sure you're believing the word of God, the truth, the faith. And so he says there's one body, which is the church, one spirit, the Holy Spirit, one hope, the hope of eternal life, one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, one body of truth. What will we call it? What do we call the body of truth? Huh? The what? I heard somebody say it. The what? The Word of God. The Bible. Listen, there's only one Bible. There's not a part on the one side and not an additional book and not the teachings of somebody else. There's only one Bible. And so when Paul writes this, he says, there's one body of Christ and there's one Holy Spirit and there's one hope of eternal life and there's one Lord Jesus Christ and there's one body of truth. And then he says, there's one baptism. Well, I know people who dip, and I know people who, who duck and, and do this and sprinkle and do other. He's not talking about mode of baptism. The one baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he places you in Jesus Christ. That's the, only, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. There is one baptism, and it's not the mode that you, that, that you baptize somebody. Uh, it is the fact that the Holy Spirit places you in Christ. And that happens at the moment that you believe. Okay, so he's got one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then he ends it with one God and what? Father. That's the Father there. See, the Lord is Jesus, and there's the Father at the end, the God and Father. We are his children. That's the great truth that when you believe in Jesus Christ, what happens? You become a child of God. And that's why we have a father. And so he's given all of this stuff. So what's the body? What is it? The church. The church. What's the spirit? The spirit. What's the hope? The Eternal life. What's the Lord? Jesus. What's the faith? The body of truth. What's the baptism? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, placing us in Christ. And what's the God and Father? Our God, the one who holds it all together. So we go back to the bottom line. If we all held to exactly this, would there be unity? What does he say in verse 3? He doesn't say make unity in the body. He says preserve unity in the body. There is unity because God says, I got one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. I've already made the unity. Now, it's our responsibility to do what? Preserve the unity. What does he say? Be, verse 3, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all. He's over everything. He's through all and he's in all. So that's how he stops. And so I wanted you to see that if, what if everybody said there's one church, one Holy Spirit, one body of truth. We'd say, well, we all should pretty much match, shouldn't we? And we should have unity. Did the early church have unity? 
When you start looking at Acts chapters 4, 5, and 6, there was a lot of unity. And then you got some people lying, and then you got something else happening, and you got some people being mistreated, and, and some people saying, well, they're giving more food to them than they give to, and, you know, and so there, you had to do what? Maintain the unity of the body. That's what he says to do. So when you start thinking about all of the people and all of the truths, we go back to three big things. What about the Bible? What about the Son? And what about salvation? And I've told you this, whenever I do membership training, I always start off by saying, when we look at what we believe at Stillwater Bible, we look at three big areas. What do we believe, what do we believe about the Bible? What do we believe about Jesus? And what do we believe about salvation? Because if you get those three big things right, you're going to pretty much match on everything else. So when we start talking about denominations, and let me just throw some things out. Baptist. Methodist, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, Lutheran, Episcopal, Catholics, Charismatic aspect, Bible Church aspect. There's all kind of different things. So with that in mind, we go to this part. Why are there different denominations and groups? Why so many? What's the difference there? And I want you to know, I want you to write, I think, is that somewhere in your handout? Why? Where it says... Where it says, A, differences in theology, I want you to write the word function. Function. Okay? Function is what you're supposed to believe, so to speak. How it fits together. That's the function. We're going to see later on we have the form, but we're going to talk about function first. So why so many different denominations? And it starts with differences in theology. Okay? And let me show you what I mean by that. There are differences in theology, and let's start with salvation. Well, you already know the answer to that, right? What do we believe a person must do to have eternal life? Believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Is that simple? By grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's to get to God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But there are people who say, you need to repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, walk down the aisle, make a public profession, get baptized. There are people who will say, well, you can say you believe in Christ, but if you don't live it out, you're, you're not saved. There are people who will say that uh, you never had it. Then there's other people who say, well, you can believe in Jesus Christ, but if you don't live it out, you lose your salvation. And so you've got all these people with all these different ways to talk about the salvation message. And so if, if we believe that you're saved by faith alone and Christ alone, would you go to a church that taught something differently? You wouldn't. That's why there's two diff there's different groups, okay? Because there's different theology as far as the issue of salvation. Well, let's talk about uh, the issue of the Bible. What do we believe? We say the Bible is God's word. It is perfect and true. It is begin, given from, from God to man, from God through man. We have the written revelation. It is perfect. We're to know it, apply it, and pass it on. But, you know, a lot of people don't hold to that. There are a number of churches in this town that I've talked to their pastors, and they say, we don't believe the Bible is inerrant. We believe it was written by men, and there's, there's errors in it. If you believe that the Bible is perfect, would you go to a church that didn't hold to that? No, you wouldn't. That's why there's different groups. Because there's people who say, we don't hold to that. And there's other groups that say, well, the Bible's good, but we've got some other books that are on equal par with the Bible. Or we've got someone who's on equal par with the Bible or oversees the Bible. So you've got that aspect. So that's the Bible. Well, what about Jesus? Well, everybody believes Jesus is okay, right? Well, did you know there are people who who their Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the word was a God. That's Jehovah's Witnesses. They believed that Jesus was a God. Uh, and then you've got the Mormons, and you say, who is Jesus from? And the Mormons say, Jesus was born of Adam, God, and the Virgin Mary in Jerusalem. And Adam, God, was Adam of the garden who became a god and had sex with Mary to produce Jesus in Jerusalem. Not the same Jesus. So there are people who look at Jesus, and we say Jesus is the Son of God, left the glories of heaven, became a human being, died on the cross, paid for sins, that he's the perfect human being, that one was able to die and pay for our sins. But a lot of people don't look at it that way. In fact, there are some people who say what Jesus did was okay, but we must do the following. See? So uh, would you go to a church that taught that Jesus was born of Adam, God, and the Virgin Mary? No, you wouldn't. That's why they're different groups. Well, what about spiritual gifts? Well, spiritual gifts are divine abilities given by God to serve within the body. And there's a lot of controversy on those. There are some people who say every spiritual gift found in the Bible is for today, and that means there are prophets and apostles, and you speak in tongues, and you have the gift of prophecy, and you have all these things. And then there are other Christians who say, we don't think that. We think that a lot of those sign gifts ended at the, when the scripture was completed, and they're gifts like pastor, teacher, and you know, evangelist, and uh, you know, gifts of helps, and mercy, and those kind of things. And so you have people who look at di give different gi spiritual gifts in different ways, and so some would say, well, I wouldn't go to your church because you, you hold to this, and some would say, well, I wouldn't go to your church because you hold to this. So, theology. And then, end times. We're studying the book of Revelation. You've seen the chart over and over, right? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. We're the church age. The rapture is going to happen. Seven-year tribulation. Jesus Christ is going to come back. Second coming. He's going to rule for a thousand years, and there'll be a great white throne judgment in eternity. You believe that, right? You better believe that, okay? Because that's what we're teaching, right? Did you know that most denominations do not believe that at all? In fact, most denominations believe Jesus died and rose again. There will not be a rapture. There will not be a tribulation. There will not be any of that. There will be a second coming of Jesus. So he died, sent it into heaven. He'll come back. At the comeback, there'll be a great white throne judgment, and every human being will stand before the great white throne judgment. There will be no rapture. There will be no thousand-year reign of Christ. There will be, and most denominations hold to that view. It's called an amillennial view. We hold to what we call the premillennial view, which means we believe Jesus is going to come back and rule for a thousand years. They believe there will no, be no thousand years. And when there's no thousand years, there's also no rapture, no... And so most... In fact, let me just say this to you. Most denominations hold to the second view. We hold to the first view. Because if you hold to the Bible and what we call historical, literal, grammatical interpretation, the only interpretation you can make is the one we use. Now, if you don't hold to the Bible historically, literally, and grammatically, you can make it say whatever you want, okay? So that's why there are different people with different views on theology. That's called the what? The function. This is how we function. You and I would say we have a certain belief about salvation, faith alone in Christ alone, the Bible is God's word, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, died and rose again. We hold to spiritual gifts. There are ones, we think some spiritual gifts ended uh, when, the, when the canon was, was completed. And then we see the end times from a premillennial dispensational view. You may not know what that means, but that means we see it as a rapture, a, a seven-year tribulation, a second coming, a thousand-year reign of Christ, great white throne judgment, and eternity. A lot of people don't. 
So that's why theology-wise, when people look at the Bible, they say, I see that, but I hold to this. Or I see that, and I hold to this. So that's one of the reasons there are different denominations, because people don't believe the same thing. Okay, now there's more. The second thing, it, if, I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah, there it is. Differences in practices, and right beside that, out beside it, write the word form. Forms, okay? Different forms. Now, this is, uh, this is freedom. Let me just say this. Your function is what you believe is, is the Bible teaching. Your forms is how you practice what you do. So let's talk about the differences there. And so how people choose to worship the government, the churches, and even styles of worship. So let's talk about uh, how people choose to worship. We uh, have a lot of freedom, right? Uh, you can come in and sit down. And you can sing, you can stand up, you can sit down. We sing certain songs. We teach the Bible. I can wear a suit if I want to. I don't have to wear a suit. You can wear whatever you want to wear. Uh, we have a lot of freedom on how we do things. We say we're going to have a church service here, then we're going to have this here, we're going to have a group meeting over here. We, can, we, have, we have a lot of freedom. Some people, it's not quite that way. There are some people that when they come into their church service, um, they have to go to a certain place, have to do a certain thing. There's certain parts of the, of the room that they can't go to. Uh, if you think of Catholic, uh, you, you can come in. There's the holy water you have to have. You, you go and sit down and you cross yourself before you sit down. Uh, up until the Vatican II, every service was in Latin, so you never understood a thing that was said in your service. And yet, but you were taught certain things. You were told certain things. And that's called high church. And so there's high church and low church. Uh, my my uh, twin sister goes to a Lutheran church. And she has believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. But in that Lutheran church, a person comes in and you're, you're commanded to watch the cross. He brings the cross down with Jesus on the cross. And you're commanded to watch the cross as it goes by. And then the cross is put in a certain place where only the priest can go up there. And they have a booklet. And instead of teaching the Bible or things like we do, he gets up and he says, and he reads it. Now is the day of the Lord. And then the people say, yes, we rejoice in that. Next, and they go through the whole thing. It's a little booklet. Uh, and when he gets to the teaching thing, it's about five minutes. And that's what they do. And so they have that. Uh, and, and they believe different things than... We do. And then there's Episcopal. And, uh, and so we, we'll come back to how these... Are. So there are different ways people choose to worship. There is a, a lot of what we'd call maybe the charismatic church background. It's, it's, it's freedom all the way. You can do anything. It's not ordered service even. I had a friend. When I say friend, I sat with him some at some meetings. He was the pastor of a charismatic church in this town. And we were talking one day, and he said, what do you do on Sunday mornings? So I said, well, you know, I, we're, and back in those days, I think we were going through Romans. I said, I'm just studying the book of Romans. I just, you know, get up on Sunday morning, and I teach through that passage. I said, what do you do? He said, oh, I, I never know until I stand up what I'm going to talk about. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I'm sitting there, and they're singing the last song, and then I get up to talk, and I never know until I start talking what I'm going to talk about. And I said, so do you don't teach Scripture at all? Oh, no, I just, I mean, I just talk. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells me to say. And I said, have you ever thought about studying 
and letting the Holy Spirit teach you during the week and then you teach that? He went, no, I've never thought about that. So there's just differences on how people do their worship, okay? That's why there are differences. And then there's the government. Let's think about the government of the church. Some churches or congregational rule, like a lot of Baptist churches, they have a pastor and deacons, but the church rule, basically rules, you know, makes the decisions. I had a friend, a close friend, that was in a Baptist church for years, and we were in a Baptist church for years, but he was in a Baptist church for years, and they had a business meeting every, uh, I don't know if it was every Wednesday night or once a month, and but you couldn't, huh? Is it once a Every quarter. Well, I, his was, I think, every month. And one day, he, uh, he, he went, he was living in a small town, and he drove over about 40 miles to another town that was a big town. He realized they were out of communion cups. So he bought a, a little box of communion cups, and when he came back at the congregational meeting, they told him he had not the right to buy any communion cups that had to be decided at that meeting. And he went, I just bought the communion cups. I mean, you know, so in some churches, the congregational rules are that way. Some, the elders rule the, the, the body. Some, it's a combination of pastor, you know, of pastor and elders and body, and it all comes together. So whatever government, and by the way, this is a, a form. You have great freedom. The Bible doesn't tell you how to form the government of a church. The Bible gives you all kind of freedom on how you want to do it. That's one thing that makes the Bible so amazing. It doesn't say, here's how the church is structured. It's, it, you have great freedom there. And then, of course, style of worship. The music, teaching, what, what do you like, what do you don't like. Uh, I mean, it's amazing to me. I think our music is, is, is out of this world. I love it. I sit right there, and I absolutely love everything we do. I'm sure there are other churches, other places, they would say, well, no, you can't sing those songs. And you know what, the, the greatest controversy that we've seen in the last 30 years is over music in the church. And, it, it, and there's no biblical aspect there, it's just preferences. What do people want? And so we, we see this. So differences in belief and differences in style. That, and so the uh, denominations, so why, why are they? They're based on two things, either their differences in what they believe or differences in their style. You could believe exactly the same as another person but if you said, I'm just making this up, you said, I only want hymns, I, and you said, and I know a church that only has hymns, you might go to that rather than a church that has mixed, even though you believe exactly the same thing, because that's your preference. Everybody's got preferences. Uh, you can do whatever you, you, know, you want. So let's talk for a minute about where these things came from. Where did these denominations, and I'm going to go fast because I know time is up. We'll start with Baptists. Uh, in, the, in Europe... There, there was a group, if you know at that time, every Protestant group and Catholic believed that when a baby was born, you baptized the infants to put them in a covenant of faith, and that if you're Catholic, that actually saves them, and then they've got to live that out. For a Reformed-type view, it put them in the covenant of faith, and most likely they're going to be saved. So they baptized infants. There came a group who said, we don't think that you ought to baptize babies, we think you ought to baptize believers. That when you believe in Jesus Christ, then you get baptized. And they became known as Anabaptists because Anna means again or above. And so, so instead of, of one baptism when you're a baby, they said, no, you have to be baptized again 
when you're a believer, and of course they were persecuted, many of them were killed and all this by the other groups, they left and came to America and they became known as the Anabaptists, but then later the Anna part was dropped and they became known as Baptists. All a Baptist is, a Baptist person says, I believe you baptize believers, not infants. That's what baptism is. And I mean, that's what a Baptist is. And there's, there's probably 400 denominations of, Bapt- of Baptists in the United States, at least, at least. Then there's Methodists. Now, does that sound like something like a method? It was. When the Methodists started, they had a method. They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to lead people to Christ, and then we're going to train them. That sound okay? That's a great method. They just don't do it anymore. They were started that way, but now they're so liberal that they're splitting up because they can't even decide what they believe anymore. They haven't held to the Bible in a long time, and they believe you can lose your salvation and all these things. But they started out great. Presbyterian. Presbyterian comes from presbyteros, which is the Greek word for elder. And they said, we're going to form our church with elder leadership. And that's how our church is going to be. And our government will be that way. And most Presbyterian churches are owned by the presbytery. It's not owned by the people. Y'all own this church. This is your church. But if this was a Presbyterian church, you wouldn't own this church. And the Presbyterian could come in and say, we're closing the doors on this. I had a friend that he started, a, he was a Presbyterian pastor, and he started a, a, a deal for, for his church, and the Presbyterian said, we don't want you to do that. And he said, we're going to do that. He came in one Sunday, and the whole building was locked up. And they said, this is not your building. It belongs to the Presbyterian. So they locked them all out. So that Presbyterian, that's a different way. Lutheran. Most Lutherans follow Martin Luther. And... Uh, I was at a, not a debate, but a thing in which they had like 12 different pastors and each one of us was supposed to tell what we believed. And every time it came to the Lutheran, instead of him saying what he believed, he said, let me read to you what Martin Luther said. And so he always said what Martin Luther said. And uh, there's some things Martin Luther wrote that I said, oh, that's great. And there's some things Martin Luther wrote that I said, that's terrible. So, but they base what they believe primarily off what Luther wrote. Episcopal, where, where did the Episcopal church come from? Church of England. How did that church start? Well, when Henry wanted to get married and, and get a divorce and they said no, he formed his own church called the Church of England, which later became Episcopal. And, and that, that, that's how that came. And their beliefs are very similar to Catholics. Uh, different, but same. Church of Christ. Church of Christ says that we believe the main emphasis of Church of Christ is you have to be baptized to be saved. They say they teach the Bible, and sometimes they do. They do pretty good. But their emphasis is that if you're not baptized, you're not saved, and you could lose your salvation. So if you get baptized, you believe and get baptized, and then you sin and lose your salvation. You have to believe again and get baptized again. I had a friend that uh, sold athletic equipment when I was coaching at Mississippi State, and he had been baptized like seven times because he kept sinning, losing his salvation, and then believing again and getting back in there. So that's some stuff there. Nazarene, very similar to that. Catholic, most of you know that Catholics are so different because you have the Pope who has authority over the church, which is the teachings of the church and the Bible, and the teachings of the church is on par with the Bible, and he is the one that decides what's right. And so the Catholic Church has a lot of different ways that they function. Reformed, it's just people who came out of the Reformation, but most of them hold to an amillennial view, and they hold to the idea of election. But the problem with that is you can't never know. In that group, you can't ever know whether you're saved or not. And even if you live good, you don't know what you're going to live good to the end. It's really contra. It's con- I'm, I went way over. I'm so sorry. So the bottom line, the goal is go back to the Word of God as the basis for the belief. Like a Bible church. Okay? You can say you're a Bible church. Okay, so what does that mean? 
we decided that we're a Bible church because everything we try to do is go back to Scripture. And that's kind of the way that we hold to it. So here's the first key. Base our functions on the Word of God. Function is what we're supposed to believe and like the, the theology, okay? And then the second one is, and I just throw it up there, is you, let's use our freedom in our forms. We have freedom to do a lot of different things. And they're not rights or wrongs. Uh, they're not... Bible doesn't say you have to do this. We can say we got freedom. We can play the kind of music we can play. Listen, I remember, y'all, I'm old enough to remember that you had an organ and a piano. That's all you ever had. And one day a guy brought in a guitar and people went, you can't have a guitar in there. And he said, is there a reason why? Because David had this wire thing that he played and it was sort of like a guitar. And then somebody had drums and they said, you cannot have drums. And it said, you know, it helps with a beat, you know, boom, but we don't want a beat in here. You know, so I watched music. I've watched music change from a piano and an organ to what we have, and I like it. I like what we do. 